Blog Talk Radio. Gail Sylvia of sylviaglobal.com. I'm so excited this afternoon to be here in um, Southern California with an incredible ambassador of love and women's financing. Um, She believes in the best for all women around the world and girls. Her name is Deborah Lindholm. Deborah is the founder of the Foundation for Women, FFW. FFW is dedicated to eliminating global poverty by creating and funding microcredit programs globally and locally. These programs have been funded in India, Zambia, South Africa, and Niger. The FFW is is a registered NGO and has operated the Foundation for Women Liberia microcredit program since 2006. Domestically, this pioneering foundation has also serves women in San Diego's microcredit program and reaches women and families who live below the U.S. poverty line, giving them business capital, support, and encouragement. Deborah, thank you so very much for being here with us today on Sylvia Global. How are you? It's a pleasure. Thank you, Gail Sylvia. I'm delighted to be with you. You're one of those ladies that I, I just feel uh, that we're like kindred spirits. We met about a year, a little over a year ago through Women Moving Millions, and just formed a bond that just connected us instantaneously. At least that's how I feel. It's it's been very dear and special, and you're right. It was instantaneous, and I think we both just have such a passion for for making the world better for women and girls. It's a a natural connection. And it's our mutual friend, Ann Lovell, that knows how to connect um, hearts and good people doing good works around the world. We'll get get Ann on the show. Talk to us about your background before we dive into the Foundation for Women. You know, t- tell us where you grew up and what kind of um, experiences you had associated with wealth, business, and philanthropy. Well, I grew up in the Midwest part of the U.S. in a small community. Um, I was the oldest of five daughters, and um, it it was just apparent to me at a very early age that um, there were not the same opportunities um, when I was growing up for girls as there were for for young men. And um, coming from a, such a large group of female energy, I somehow knew at a very early age that I wanted to do something that would enhance the world for women and girls. And I, I in in my previous life to the work that I'm doing for the Foundation for Women right now, I started an international financial research company with my former husband, and I had the opportunity to travel all over the world. And traveling all over the world really exposed my my eyes, my sense, my heart, my feeling, my soul to something that I had never been exposed to growing up in a very small middle and upper middle class suburban community in the middle of America. And what struck me about those travels more than anything is the... Um, the direness of utter poverty and how it really impacts uh, women and children so much more than anyone. And I just somehow knew that I was always going to do something about that, but I didn't quite know how. So uh, when the Foundation for Women 
came to me. It was like truly it was a gift from God. It was like God had a good idea, and I was blessed enough to hear it. It was I, I went to a I went to a Rotary meeting breakfast meeting once about 18 years ago when I was just starting to think that the Foundation for Women needed to to be birthed, and I heard a gentleman talking about the statistics of poverty and how uh, 20% of us share over 90% of the wealth on the planet. And then there is 20% of the population that shares less than 1% of the wealth. And I had seen what what poverty looks like, and I had seen how awful it was, but I didn't think I could ever possibly do anything about it until that morning. And, and so the gentleman who was speaking started talking about microcredit and this gentleman, Dr. Mohammed Yunus, and how he had started something so small in Bangladesh and how it had... It was becoming a global movement, and that was really the first time I had an inkling that there is a tool that I, as a human being, one person, could really do something um, that would really manifest amazing social change on the planet. So, so maybe maybe I'll start by just giving you a sort of a brief overview of of microcredit because it really is the the assumption is instead of giving handouts to poor people one gives access to credit to poor people. So if you think about it, Gail Sylvia, energetically, if someone is desperately poor and you give them handouts, the energy is basically saying, I'm better than you, you can't do it, therefore I have to help you. But if you give access to loan capital so that a woman in particular can generate her own um, income-generating activity, can make her own business... The, the energy is so completely different. It says, I believe in you. I know you can do it. I'm going to stand next to you. It also says that I see the potential in you of achieving a greater level of success where you can become my philanthropic peer. That's exactly the case. And And how this actually got started 35 years ago was, Dr. Yunus, um, he's an economist. He'd come to the United States and gotten his Ph.D., and he went back to Bangladesh, and he was teaching in a local university while he was working for a bank. And one um, one day he took his group of students to this village next to the next to the university where he was teaching, and he started interviewing the people in this community, and this one woman was making these extraordinary baskets. And he inquired of her, how much money do you make, madam, every day? And she said, two pennies. And Dr. Eunice said, well, how is that possible, madam, when you're making such beautiful things? How is it that you're only making two pennies? And she said, well, I have to borrow money from the money lender at the beginning of the day in order to buy my raw materials. And at the end of the day, he makes me sell what I have prepared back to him, and he only pays me two pennies. Mm-hmm. So, so in effect, she was a slave. Mm-hmm. And so he and his students interviewed the rest of the um, people in that community, and he found out that... 42 people in that village needed the equivalent of 27 U.S. dollars so that they would never have to deal with the money lender again. And so he went to his bank and he said, I want us to lend $27 to this village. And the bank said, we don't lend money to people who do not have it. And so he did, and they paid him back. And then he went to the next village, and the same thing. And that has grown into... Um, just an astonishing movement of of giving access to financial services, which all of us would never be able to operate in this world without, to to millions of people worldwide, and and it is 
giving them the opportunity to create their own destiny, to become philanthropic peers with everyone else on the planet that is creating their own life and making their way for themselves and their family. What kind of interest rate are they generally charged? It varies from country to country, depending on what the going bank rate is in the country. For instance, right now, the program that we're operating in Liberia, the interest rate is 20%, but that's because the going bank rate in the country is 18%. If you and I were going to borrow money in Liberia right now, it would cost us 18%. So we charge, and, and the best practices in microcredit are to charge just slightly above the going bank rate in the country because this is not about making money off of poor people. This is about giving access to credit to people who are very poor. And money costs everybody. It costs everybody money. If, if you and I borrow money, it's going to cost us money. So the, the reality of microcredit is that it's a financial literacy program as well as, as giving um, access to capital. And I might mention one thing, Gail Sylvia. After so many years of doing this work and having it, it, it really is a global movement right now, um, the repayment rate for women worldwide is better than 95%. And that's because women are mothers, and they desperately want to do whatever they can to make life better for their children. They don't want their children to be in the same circumstances that they have found themselves in. So it's really um, it's a repayment rate that is better than any commercial bank in the developed world. So which came first, your business success and then your foundation and philanthropy, or uh, was the philanthropic part of your life woven into the development and growth of your business? Well, I, th- I think the growth of the business made it possible for me to step into the philanthropic life in a way that I had never stepped into before. And you and I have discussed this, and many members of Women Moving Millions, um, fellow members besides you and I, have had the conversation, you know, women are in control of a great deal of money um, in the world right now. And there is a difference between between women who have inherited great sums of money and women who have made great sums of money. And, and those that have married it. And there's, those that have married into yeah. it, exactly, exactly. And I did not come from a family of wealth. We had we had enough, but we didn't have much more than enough. And so it it really was through developing and working hard and being an entrepreneur. I I I, I haven't worked for anyone since the, the few years I was out of college. I've really been an entrepreneur all of my life. And so by being able to create my own destiny, it's really given me the 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 energy, the passion, the excitement of making that possible for every woman on the planet. What were some of the challenges that you face that you see maybe at a different scale or given the circumstances of the women who are, you know, participating in your foundation as receiving these microloans? What are some of the common experiences that entrepreneurs, women who are entrepreneurs seem to have in that cycle that leads to success? Well, I, I one of the things about microcredit that is so fascinating to me, and I really wish that this would have been part of my experience earlier, is in, in the structure of microcredit, women are given access to capital, and they're required to come to a weekly meeting, same time, same place, every week. For instance, in, in, in the United States, our first loan in San Diego County is $250. And the women 
come together in groups of five, and then six or eight groups of five form one community center group. And they all come to the meeting, same time, same place, every week. And each woman is required for this first loan of $250 to bring $16 a week. And that's $10 in principal, a dollar in interest slash program fee to participate, and $5 to put in a savings account. And so within 25 weeks, then that entire um, $250 is repaid. It's cost $25 to have access to that capital for that for that period of time, and the women have saved. They have a savings account, which is a new, unbelievable word in their vocabulary. But what happens when the women come together every week is not just, it's not about the money. The money becomes a vehicle for women coming together to help and support each other. And every woman has an opportunity to share what's going on with her family, what's going on with her business. And the the kind of strength of community that gets built among women is extraordinary and that happens in san diego county it happens in liberia it happens in bangladesh i just got back from from india the very first program that the foundation for women began funding in 1997 in in the really poorest part of of southern india in tamil nadu there were a hundred women participating when we began being the funding partner of this organization there i just got back last month and there are now 1.2 million women part of that program. And that has built a community of of women who are strong and help each other and take care of each other and care about their children and help each other with family issues. I mean, it's it's really a powerful global movement. So it's it's about the money, yes, because that's the vehicle that gets the women together. But it really ends up being way more than that. And I think just to tie that back to the challenges of being an entrepreneur you know it, when when i was first launching um the for-profit business many years ago you know i i was really just doing it by myself with my husband and if if i had been a, had access to a network of other women entrepreneurs um i i think that would have been a great benefit to me so what you're doing is giving women loans that help them put their own dreams into action and then that microcredit program um, and that support group of weekly accountability um, yep. is what inspires and instills them to persevere as they grow their business. Is that that's, accurate? That's exactly right. Well said. And one of the other beauties about this is once um, once a loan has been repaid, the women then have access to additional capital, to a larger sum of money, and the money that that has been repaid gets recycled again. So so once someone invests in a microcredit program, they're really investing in women uh, forever because the money will continually be lent and then continually repaid, lent again, repaid again, lent again, repaid again. So it's a, it's a very, very empowering, very empowering. So uh, the investment then that's being made is what actually funds the loans, and that's coming through individual contributions via the women's, the Foundation for Women, memberships, grants, corporate sponsors. Is that the structure and way to support the work? Exactly, exactly. But the beauty about microcredit is within 8 to 10 years, most microcredit programs in the developing world um, can become self-sufficient because the interest is um, generated on the volume of loans will cover the operating costs. 
we're we're still in an experimental stage with the work domestically in America to see um, how we can eventually get the, that kind of um, self-sustainability to happen in America. But it's very, very common in the developing world that once programs get to scale, there is enough capital within the system that the interest generated on the loans will cover all the operating expenses. So it's it's not about giving money forever into uh, um, into something. It's about making an investment that will will go on giving forever. Of uh, the this two hundred and fifty dollars, you know, sounds like it could go a lot further in a country such as India than it could in San Diego County, given cost of living. How does $250 really make a difference um, economically for a new entrepreneur and a recipient of a microcredit loan? That's a very, very good question because most of the women that we are, um, who are part of our microcredit program in America, have never seen access to banking services yet in their life. There's, in San Diego, we have a very, very large immigrant um, population. And we also are a UN refugee um, settlement center. We have 100,000 refugees living in San Diego County, and they come continually. Many of these women coming from developing countries are used to being entrepreneurs. They're used to getting up every day and figuring out if how much money can I make today so I can eat. Now they find themselves living in a country truly where cost of living is extraordinary compared to other places, and they are very industrious. $250 can take an idea of making jewelry and give them access to um, to the supplies needed so that they can do that. One woman who was newly settled in San Diego was a baker. She and her husband were bakers in Ecuador. And and so she used that money to get that the baking business going again. And she would bake things and then walk the neighborhood and sell them to people in her community. You know, when I, I think in the developing world, you know, 90% of the people in the developing world are entrepreneurs. They work for themselves. They get up every day and figure out, how am I going to make money so I can eat, so I can survive? And we in the developed world, it's probably the you know the reverse amount. 90% of us work for someone else, and 10% of us really are entrepreneurs and make, make our own way. So $250 gets in the hands of um, industrious women that are committed to changing their uh, future and the future of their children, they do everything imaginable. We have over probably 100 different businesses represented by the many, many women that have been through um, and are part of the program in San Diego. So from buying business cards to to importing hair supply, su- supplies from Africa to do um, hair braiding from whatever imaginable, whatever you can imagine they, they do. What percentage of the domestic participants are um, from an immigrant population, you know, that they're relatively newly arrived citizens in the United States compared to people that, you know, were born here and have been here for generations? Well, I'm not sure if I can answer that exactly, but I can tell you that 90% of the population that we service in San Diego County are Hispanic or speak Spanish. And so it is. It's giving um, women that have not had traditional access to education and financial services that that others in our community have had an opportunity to really make their own future. So, Deborah, do you have any suggestions or perspective 
on how we can fill that gap between the $250 um, entrepreneur, you know, loan to an entrepreneur that addresses credit and those that qualify for higher levels that the the Small Business Administration might make available to someone at $50,000. There's this gap in the in-between that, you know, that would need to be filled. Any thoughts on that? Yes, it's significant, and that's exactly what we're trying to do, Gil, Sylvia. We have a we have a memorandum of understanding with an organization uh, that's a nationwide organization called Axion, and they they have an office based in San Diego. And once women are successful with us at two hundred and fifty, five hundred, and a thousand dollar loan, they automatically have created for the first time ever in their life a credit history, and Axion will give them a larger business loan starting at two thousand, five thousand, ten, thirty thousand. And we have many many women who have gone through that graduation process that have been so successful with us that they are able to to access more traditional lines of credit and some even have gone from the point of being able to go from Foundation for Women to Axion to actually being able to have conversations with the regular, you know, banking system that all of us take for granted. So um, we're still at a small percentage, maybe 10% of all the women that we've serviced so far since we started this pioneering work about five years ago. But it's the goal for, for it's the goal to give women that option. The other thing that we've found out since we started doing this work domestically is that some women are really going to, they are entrepreneurs and have a really good idea and they'll be able to really make their way if we stand next to them and offer them this capital plus offer them, you know, our our coaching, our expertise, our our community, our support system. Some really want um, a career track, and they just need more help trying to figure out how they can actually get a job so that they have a consistent income. But the largest percentage of 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 all the women, probably I'd say 65%, have some income coming into their family already, and they just desperately need something else to supplement it because. They have enough money for food five days a week or six days a week, but not enough for seven, and not enough to buy the new pair of shoes that they really like to give to their child when school starts. So so we're finding that there's probably three different tracks domestically, and we're really trying to, to um, grow and enhance our program so that the needs of each woman in each category is, is met. You know, isn't that the entrepreneurial spirit applied in a, in a nonprofit arena? You know, it is. it's the, the for-profit um, kind of answer when we see a problem, and it's, it's also a characteristic of women. You know, we see a problem, we try to figure out how to solve the problem, and then we dive in there and start solving it, you know, and not waiting for someone else to come and solve it for us, but to take what we have and grow it and make the most of it and then fill those gaps in the process of solving the problem, you know, as a means of solving those problems. Well said. And I something I just believe with every um, speck of my being is that when women come together, miracles happen. And I have this, I have mm. this, I, I feel little, and, I, and I, I write that often, women together equal sign miracles. Because I, I really do, um, I see so many amazing things, and I've seen so many amazing things all over the world now in funding and now operating globally um, 
women are so creative and they will do anything that they can to make life better for their children and for their family and there's a there's the old adage you know if you if you give a man a fish um he eats for the day but if you teach him how to fish he if he eats for a lifetime well the the equivalent of that for women is if you if you give a woman a fish she eats for the day if you teach a woman how to fish she eats for a lifetime she sends all of her children to school she cleans up the lake and make it, makes it environmentally safe and sensitive for the rest of humanity. I mean, <laughs> miracles happen for when women come together. You are on the. You're a member of the Women's Leadership Board at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. How does your work and your philosophy fit in with work that's being done in that capacity? Well, I was attracted to the. Um, the Women's Leadership Board at the Kennedy School, uh, because Swanee Hunt was the uh, um, she was she was the one that birthed that, and I have a great deal of love and respect for Swanee, and she thought it was very very important that um, not just business women in the world out there as entrepreneurs making money, sharing money, women philanthropists, but she really thought that um, that women's issues needed to be part of the academic institution as well so that we could really do tangible research to say, now, what what is it that is separating women from being, you know, it's not women's rights, it's human rights, but what, what what's causing there still to be a disparity between the fact that women's rights are not equal to men's rights? I mean, it's just a fact that they're not in so many ways. And, and so tying this work into um, a, 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 a vibrant institution so that, so that research can happen, so that so that knowledge can really be shared about how women participate and what a valuable way they do and how they can inspire others. I, th- I think it's a. I think it's one. I have great respect for Swanee, and I. I, th- I think it's. It's wonderful that she pulled this together. It's a group of about 150 really dynamic women from all over the world who um, who really believe in women and girls. Well, how how has faith been a part of your personal development? your decisions making in business and in life and in this work of women and girls it's it's the cornerstone for me gail sylvia it really is you know when when i um when i knew that it was time for me to um leave the business world and leave a marriage that wasn't supporting me i um it was complete and utter trust that that i was being led uh, to do something else in the world, and I started taking a dance class, and I'd mm. never taken a dance class in my life. And I thought, you know, if I could, and I always wanted to, and I thought if I can move my body in ways it's never moved before, maybe I can move my life in ways it's never moved before. And it was an extraordinary experience for me. And it was during that time of transition, and during that that period of just having this, you know, wonderful. Experience of of moving my body in ways it's never moved before is when I really started to hear. You know, you have to do something to support women and girls. There's going to be a foundation. It's it's going to do. It's going to be like bricks and mortar, not a traditional foundation with a big umbrella. It's going to be bricks and mortar that's going to hold up all the women in the world whose voices are not heard, all the women who have been just wanting a little bit of support and feeling like there's a connection to community where they can really have the courage and strength to really develop, you know, to the, to whatever dreams that they want to develop. And 
I, 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 I say this often when I talk about the Foundation for Women is that, you know, God had a really good idea and I was really blessed to hear it. And wow. I keep listening. I keep listening. And I know that we're working in Liberia now in support of the first female president of an African nation. I know it's a God thing. Um, my colleague, Emily Jubay-Peel in, in Liberia, and I talk about that all the time. In fact, we're working on a book called It's a God Thing because what is the likelihood of a young girl from Geneva, Illinois, in the Midwest part of America, ever meeting a young girl, now woman, from Sino County, 12 hours east of Monrovia in Liberia? I mean, it's just, there's no way Emily and I would have found each other without it being a God thing. Only, only God. You're currently convening seats at the table for Liberia, and that's a collaborative effort effort of several key entities working together to totally uplift the country of Liberia. I've also heard you share that that's your family. You know, your family is there in Liberia. Can you talk about that? Well, it's the greatest joy, and it was one of those other things where God had a good idea, and I was blessed to hear it. Mm -hmm. But it occurred to me... um, about a year ago that we would be able to do so much more for the women and children of Liberia, the families, and the entire country if if we didn't just provide microcredit loans to women, but if we really tried to get um, entities to work together so that we could address education and health care and all kinds of aspects that, that, um, that affect women and families. And so last um, August... Uh, uh, 2011, we called the, forever the first time ever in Liberia the All Liberian Women's Summit, and we had 250 women from all over the country that came together for the day. Some who could only sign their name with a thumbprint, sitting next to you know accomplished ambassadors and lawyers and whatever. And it was an extraordinary day. And the women themselves told us what they needed, and that's what has been driving force behind the seats at the table for Liberia. Is if we can get entities to really say we're better off working together than we are um, doing things separately. Th- there was a research article in the Stanford Social Innovation Review called um, Collective Impact um, a couple of years ago, and it basically says the same thing, that if, if entities can truly come together and leave the egos at the door and just say how is it, how can we make the world better by holding hands with each other instead of doing work separately. And so this this pilot project that we're we're launching in Liberia has six um, different um, entities that are supporting women, all run by women, and we are a tight group of women. We are committed that we are going to have much more impact together than we're ever going to have individually. And and the whole piece about Liberia becoming a family, it really truly, I, I so believe that we are one human family. We are one human family everywhere, and and we we so have the obligation and the honor to be able to support and help each other. And I've been traveling all over the world for 35 years, but these last uh, five years in Liberia, I I go often, and and truly some of the dearest relationships in my life now have have developed because of working there. It's they're an extraordinary people. It's an extraordinary country. Three and a half million people, it's the size of San Diego County, you know. The work that we're doing is going to change an entire country. Deborah Lynn Holm, thank you so much for being our special guest today on sylviaglobal.com. 
appreciate so much your being here and your heart and your passion. There are two quotes that um, I know that you embrace, and I want to share those with the audience. Uh, One is, every time you smile at someone, it is an action of love. It's a gift to that person, and it's a beautiful thing from Mother Teresa. And then one of your favorite quotes, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever does. And Deborah Lindholm embodies that as the founder and CEO of the Foundation for Women. Thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you, Gail Sophia. Please come back again. We look forward to having you join us. This broadcast is available on sylviaglobal.com, also as a podcast on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at hashtag Sylvia Global and on Facebook. You can support the Foundation for Women uh, at their website, which is also going to be on the sylviaglobal.com website. You can find information about them at www.foundationforwomen.org. Have a wonderful day and smile. Deborah will talk to you soon and hope that you'll come back and be our guest again. Thank you. Thank you very much.